from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Feed from under the sea. We're working with feeding some red seaweed to help uh, reduce methane emissions in dairy cows. How some simple changes to dairy cows' diets could cut methane emissions. Ag leaders in Congress make an announcement about the future of the Farm Bill as China continues to buy U.S. soybeans. But why? And it's really hurting them, and I think President Xi knows that. The latest as U.S. and Chinese leaders prepare to meet face-to-face -face right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Michelle Rock. Clinton is on assignment this week at Agritechnica in Germany and will be giving us reports later this week. Also this week, President Joe Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping plan to meet Wednesday during the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperative Summit in San Francisco. That meeting is helping spur purchases of U.S. soybeans. China bought around 3 million metric tons of soybeans or 110 million bushels from the U.S. last week, a volume that reportedly surprised the market. They added another 7.5 million bushels on Monday. That's even though they're more expensive than Brazilian supplies and processing margins are weak in China. The purchases are seen as a goodwill gesture ahead of Xi's meeting with Biden. My mindset is their pork industry is in tough enough shape, their deflation is bad enough, their consumer is stalled out since the zero COVID policy that they really don't need to buy extra. Um, what they're probably looking and fishing for is some cash injection, some foreign direct investment, because that has been pulled out dramatically from the Chinese economy, and it's really hurting them. And I think President Xi knows that. The meeting is also hoped to be the start of better trading relations between the U.S. and China. However, Zuzalo is concerned China's washing out of soybeans in Brazil and only coming to the U.S. because of weather concerns in South America. My issue would be they will find another buyer if they can find it. It is very fortunate for the U.S. soybean grower that we have this weather issue uh, as we go to this meeting, because if we hadn't had the weather in South America, uh, I think we would not be able to be this kind of strength in soybeans. Meanwhile, the head of world trading at Cargill, the world's largest ag commodities trader, indicates China's purchasing more than it needs for domestic use, signaling it's seeking to build stockpiles. Other sources indicate that Sinograin has a dual role of crushing beans and managing reserve stocks for the government. Angie's visit is the only logical reason Sinograin would pay a big premium over Brazilian beans because crushers don't pay above market prices. Happening right now in Congress, a new effort is underway to avoid a government shutdown. And now the leaders of the House and Senate Ag Committees are saying there will for sure be an extension of the current farm bill. Both committees releasing a joint statement saying, quote, as negotiations on funding the government progress, we are able to come together to avoid a lapse in funding for critical agricultural programs and provide certainty to producers. This extension is in no way a substitute for passing a five-year farm bill, and we remain committed to working together to get it done next year, end quote. What we're looking at um, with some of the debate around increasing price triggers for payments, most of those are set to increase anyway, so extending it another year will will basically incorporate that increase um, into the next year. And, and that there's some certainty around that. Even if there's uncertainty over the longer five-year time frame, it is the status quo is what we're used to. Well, I think one of the things I struggle with uh, that I think is a real puzzle on this is 
most of the acres and many of the crops are going to see a reference price increase because of the way the program was redesigned in 2018. So these these last few years of high prices, so corn, soybeans, wheat, those are going to get pulled up anyway automatically. And so for this to be the sticking point, I think it's only one of them. It's the kind of internal and the committee sticking point um, is a bit puzzling to say the least when, when we can see that automatic increase happening with the current design of the program. So why fight over this? this extraordinarily expensive change that doesn't seem to have the need in many of the crops for most of the acres in the country. As far as the entire spending plan, Congress has until Friday to pass something to avert a government shutdown. House Republicans are working on a two-part plan. The first bill would extend funding until January 19th. It would include money for the military, veterans affairs, transportation, housing, and the energy department. The second part would extend funding until February 2nd and include money for the rest of the government. High path avian influenza is once again becoming an issue on several farms. An additional 1.2 million chickens will be slaughtered after bird flu was confirmed on an Iowa egg farm. The farm is in Taylor County, Iowa. It comes just days after nearly 1 million chickens were killed on a Minnesota egg farm. Iowa also confirming three other cases affecting backyard flocks in Jones, Cerro and a game bird flock in Kasuth County. Meanwhile, USDA is also confirming four cases in commercial turkey operations in Minnesota and South Dakota. Yields in the Fields on Ag Day is brought to you by Microessentials, the super granule that packs balanced nutrition into a single granule for uniform nutrient distribution, increased nutrient uptake, and season-long sulfur availability. Beating commodity fertilizers every time. Supercharge your yields with the Mighty Micro from Mosaic. For most of the country, now may be the week to finish harvest. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht shows us why. Yeah, we've got that ridge of high pressure setting up across the United States, something we've been talking about for the last seven to 10 days. You see where that pocket uh, of dry or clear skies will be located for the next seven days. That's going to be through the Dakotas back down here to the Midwest. Now your eye immediately goes down here towards the southeast and then back out here uh, towards the west. Two separate systems early in the week. We're going to be tracking some tropical moisture and back down here into the southeast, bringing some much needed rainfall uh, to our Gulf Coast states. And then back here towards the west, this is our next system starting to take shape. This pattern that we've been following the last week or so starts to break down going into the weekend. So by Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we'll see rain chances spread in and across the United States. Again, there's a look at the precipitation forecast for the next seven days. Checking those yields in the fields. Brandon putting the hammer down to get some corn harvested before some rain moves in. Brandon Farms in Indiana, the former sprint car driver, knows a thing or two about racing to the finish. Brandon says they're seeing corn yields in the 216 bushel per acre range. I'll have more in your forecast coming up. Mary Dell Chilton was awarded the National Medal of Technology and Innovation last month by President Biden. Dr. Chilton has laid the foundation for modern plant technology. She led a team of Syngenta researchers that produced the first genetically modified plant. The medal is the highest honor awarded for achievements in technology in the U.S. The president of Syngenta Seeds calling Mary Dell Chilton a true trailblazer and an icon in the industry. Dr. Children retired in 2018, but officials with Syngenta say her legacy of innovation continues through the company. And the latest in farm machinery technology is on display this week in Germany at Agritechnica. 
As we told you earlier, Ag Day's Clinton Griffiths is there. Clinton sharing this picture on his ex page of the showroom floor in Hanover, Germany. And already some top honors have been handed out. Specifically, the 2024 Tractor of the Year has been named at the event. The winner is the Kloss Zerian 12650 Terra Track. And we'll have much more from Agritechnica this week. Clinton will be filing reports from the event about all those new technology launches. There was a lot more green across the board to start the week. Market-wise, I'll talk with Brian Grady, a pro farmer, about what caused the market to hit the ground running on Monday coming up. And later, cutting greenhouse gases in cows by making some simple changes in their diets. What researchers have come up with at the University of Minnesota in the country. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when blood, sweat, and tears meet rain, wind, and sun. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Tyson Foods is forecasting revenue for next year to be below Wall Street estimates. It comes after its fourth quarter sales missed expectations, but it said its performance improved during the second half of this fiscal year, and that sent shares up yesterday on Wall Street. It reported fourth quarter sales fell 2.8% to $13.35 billion. That's below analysts' estimates of $13.71 billion. Adjusted profits were $0.37 cents per share. It reported a $395 million loss for the year, though that's down 109% from last year. Company executives saying its beef, pork, and chicken units all face challenges this year from surpluses or supplies that were excessively tight or large. Grains all closing to the plus side on Monday. Brian Grady with Pro Farmer joining us. And Brian, soybeans and soybean meal, really the leaders here. How much of that is South American weather concerns versus maybe China hopes of more export business? Well, I think it's a combination of both. So we got supply side and demand side uh, factors coming into play now. Uh, when we look at Brazil, obviously uh, they started the year and, and it was pretty much a guarantee that they would have a record crop and they still may. Uh, the crop won't be as big as what was once thought. And, and now I think there's a real possibility that if the weather doesn't turn around soon, uh, that we may see a production number that's smaller than what last year's was. And, and so uh, that that's a pretty dynamic shift in in what the outlook is for South America. On the uh, demand side, Chinese buying and China and unknown. They've been active buyers since November third. We had another daily soybean sale to China, and uh, so that's more than three million tons that have have gone out the door via daily sales. And so um, that is also adding to the uh, bullishness in that market right now. And how big a resistance is fourteen dollars going to be on the Jan beans? Well, it, it's proven to be pretty uh, solid. And if we can push through it and close above it, then then you're talking about 1420 is the next level up. And then above that would be 1440. And, and so we got pretty clear resistance levels uh, laid out and they just happen to be uh, 20 cents apart. But uh, uh, those are the key levels from a technical perspective as we move forward here. And corn certainly tried to follow soybeans here and kind of put in a key reversal. Can we build on that? And have we put a low in, you think? Well, I think that's the key is whether we can build on it. Key reversals typically uh, do tend to uh, indicate that lows are in place. Uh, but the reason that we got the key reversal was because of soybeans and soy meal. And uh, so corn really needs to so show uh, strong follow through here this week. And if they can do that, then I think seasonal lows are in place. If not, uh, then I think that there's still some downside risk because from a seasonal perspective, uh, November isn't a very uh, friendly month to the corn market. 
Yeah, no doubt. When does corn start worrying about South American weather? Well, I think that's an issue down the road. And the reason being is while the first crop in Brazil will have issues because of the heat and dryness through central areas and the excessive wetness in far southern areas, uh, that only accounts for about one quarter of their crop. Three quarters of their crop is the safrina crop, and, and that'll be planted after the soybeans are taken off. So uh, it, the market has some time on, on the corn side of things with Brazil, in my opinion. All right. Thanks for joining us. Brian Grady with Pro Farmer. We'll have more egg day coming up. Ag Day is sponsored by Germinator Steel Closing Wheels. Perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order your Germinator Closing Wheels today. So it's going to be a complete flip regarding that pattern going into next week, November 18th through the 22nd. You got to wetter than normal conditions across a good portion of the United States with possibility of some snow coming in with our next system. Again, we're breaking down that pattern we're going to see this week. And as that breaks down next week is when that rain will start to spread through the area, perhaps some snow as well, especially near the United States. Canadian border. As for the temperature outlook, so your snow is going to be located back up here uh, towards uh, Montana, uh, Wyoming, and even into uh, Pacific Northwest. Although once you get close to the Pacific Ocean, you start to see less snowfall, but the higher terrain certainly in play. We keep the warmth around November 18th through the 22nd. Now, one thing to keep in mind with this map is that our average temperatures, average high temperatures and average low temperatures continue to go down through the month of November. So even though we're uh, above normal, that does not mean uh, 70, 80 or 85 degree days. Just compared to normal for that time of year, it's going to be a little bit warmer. At least confidence is high that it's going to be a little bit warmer during that time period. Again, the 18th through the 22nd. As for the jet stream uh, coming up on Tuesday and Wednesday, a ridge of high pressure still dominating that forecast. We'll see a, a wave come through the jet stream Thursday into Friday and I keep saying that when this pattern starts to break down, that's one of the features that will break this pattern down and uh, kind of compress the ridge south, bring rain in and cool, if not colder temperatures uh, to the plains and also the Midwest Friday, Saturday and Sunday as that trough again digs back off here towards the east. Much like we've seen in the summer and also in the fall as we continue through the fall, a ridge tries to build right back in the next week. So again, there's Saturday and into Sunday with the ridge trying to build back in by Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Here's a look at some of the cities across the nation. Buffalo, New York, partly cloudy, high around 47 degrees coming up for a Tuesday, low of 38. How about Buffalo, Minnesota, mostly cloudy, high around 62 degrees. Any guesses what the last one is going to be? Buffalo, Wyoming, partly cloudy, high of 58 degrees. It seems more Americans are eating their dairy these days rather than drinking it. We'll look at one part of the dairy industry that's seen a lot of growth next. The story in dairy right now may be a butterfat boom. CoBank reports long-term demand trends for dairy products indicate that butter, cheese, and other full-fat dairy products will continue to grow in sales and volume for the foreseeable future. It says U.S. consumers have moved away from margarine and reduced-fat dairy foods over the last decade. As a result, it says butterfat levels in the national milk supply have risen sharply. It says there was a time when milk and butterfat production were about equal, but its report shows that's no longer the case. And starting in 2011, butterfat pounds produced grew by 27%.
Cobank says exports could also be an opportunity for butterfat. When measured on a milkfat basis, the U.S. exported less than 6% of its milk production as dairy products last year. Several businesses involved in dairy in the Northeast part of the country are getting a financial shot in the arm. The Northeast Dairy Business Innovation Center announced funding of more than $12 million across eight states. They will get money through the existing dairy processor expansion grant. The money is a result of the Northeast Dairy Task Force, which was organized by the Vermont Agency of Agriculture at the request of the Ag Secretary. The task force was asked to provide an actionable response to Dan on Horizon cutting milk contracts with dairy farmers in the Northeast. The businesses getting the money represent everything from creameries on the farm to multi-state businesses and co-ops. It's reported more than 3,200 dairy farms will benefit from the processing expansion. And the dairy industry is leading the way when it comes to cutting greenhouse gas emissions. Our researchers at the University of Minnesota are taking a new look at what cows eat and help solve the issue in the country. Your next piece of equipment is on machinerypeat.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on machinerypeat.com. sometimes get a bad rap, especially when it comes to methane. UC Davis researchers say cows only account for 4% of all greenhouse gases produced in the U.S., but researchers at the University of Minnesota may have found a way to cut those emissions by half. As Farm Journal's Tyne Morgan shows us, the secret for change may be in what the cows eat. From cow burps to cow manure is the great debate. Just how much methane comes from cows? Well, dairy cows play a, a, a big role. There's almost 9 million dairy cows in, in the United States, so certainly we can help reduce the methane emissions if we work with all of the cows in the U.S. While the researchers here are not answering how much methane dairy cows emit, they're tackling another burning question. So one of the questions we're trying to answer is, can we reduce methane emissions in dairy cows? And the answer just may be in what the cows eat. We're working with feeding some red seaweed to help uh, reduce methane emissions in dairy cows. Brad Hines, professor of dairy production systems at the University of Minnesota, says the seaweed they've found to be the most effective is red seaweed found on the coast of Hawaii. We're feeding it to cows uh, to reduce uh, methane emissions and we hope to see uh, at least a 40 to 50 percent reduction in methane of dairy cows. Hines says the early results are promising. There's maybe some indication that it's, uh, it's working, it's uh, helping to reduce some methane emissions. We're not quite sure on the, the numbers yet, but the project is still ongoing. He says the methane amount not only varies by time of day, but also the types of cows. One thing that we've learned is that methane is, is quite variable in cows. You know, cows fluctuate uh, low in the morning, higher in the evening. It's really based on feeding times. And we're also finding that there's maybe some differences in dairy cow breeds when it comes to methane emissions. But in his research, he's found by feeding a very small amount of red seaweed, it can help reduce the methane emissions by up to half. Just normal feed, maybe it's less than an ounce per cow per day. So a very small amount that we're feeding to cows. He says currently the team is working with dairy producers across the state. We're working with uh, farmers in many different aspects. Uh, with uh, their, their grazing plans, how to feed their cows more efficiently. We're working with them on environmentally sustainable goals to help improve dairy production in, in Minnesota. A feasible solution with big results. 
proving that dairy farmers can be part of the sustainable solution. Our goal is to help you know, reduce uh, methane emissions in cows, improve the overall environmental sustainability of the dairy industry in, in Minnesota, and we think we'll be able to achieve that. Thanks, Ty, and that's all the time we have for this morning. Thanks for watching. For all of us at Ag Day, I'm Michelle Brooks.